Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, I am your host, Adam Portress, and this is a special edition of uh, the Film Find. I, uh, I, I've known this gentleman for quite some time, and I just met the other one, but uh, I think we're going to have quite the good conversation uh, today. Uh, Mr. Bill Fulkerson, Bill by Force, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me on the show. I am very happy to be here. This is how he talks. It will be the whole time. All of the time. uh, We are making him stay to this shtick. (laughs) And Kyle Cook to Kyle, welcome. Uh, Nice to meet you for the first time today, buddy. Nice to meet you as well, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so we're having, uh, I've, I've been a fan of, uh, Bill's, uh, for a long, long time, uh, on Outside the Cinema. Tell, Bill, tell people a little bit about the podcast and stuff like that so we, they can kind of get an idea of, uh, who you are. Well, according to your intro, apparently we are the second best movie review podcast. Oh, but people, time. but people have heard yours, heard of movie podcasts before. That way you're better. I see, don't know. See, mine that. is only, we're the best if you've never heard any other movie podcast before. That's the only reason we're we're, the best. We're we're the best if you've only listened to Outside the Cinema. Fair. Exactly. Uh, No, dude. It's a cult movie review podcast. We've been on the air for, God, this it's almost 11 years now at this point. It'll be 11 years in January where, you know, our regular episodes are at like 550 or so, plus all of our bonus content that we did over the years. And, uh, yeah, we kind of set out years ago to just kind of be like the Joe Every Guy cult movie review podcast. Uh, when we started, there wasn't a lot of them. And then, you know, a couple years after we started, there was millions of them. And then <laughs> there was some less. And then there was a bunch that are hosted by celebrities. And then now there's us with our fine little niche uh, for just like cult movies and kind of weird, bizarre stuff. And Chris and I have been doing it for a long time. We don't plan on quitting anytime soon. Put out weekly episodes. We cover the most random of the random. And then every now and then we fit in some more popular stuff, but we really like to try to turn people on to new movies. They didn't know existed. And, and honestly, that's what I, I always, even really from the beginning loved about, about outside the cinema was that you guys, uh, you didn't sit there and just hammer away at the, you know, just ones everyone knows, you know, everybody, you know, we don't need another evil dead review. Okay. We're, well, we just, just do a commentary, so. Well, that's, I mean, that's a different thing. But you, you, there's so many of just the staples where people just go like, oh, yeah, we're into some really deep shit here. And you look at what they're into, and I'm not into stuff super deep, and I just go, I'm well-versed in that. How is how is this? But you guys, you you do what I, I, I can't believe that, any, that you've done for as long as you have. Boy, the garbage that you guys will watch is just oh, yes. utterly astounding cool. and god bless you it's that's a that is a yeoman's uh work right there man oh absolutely man and chris still hates me for most most of the time um but i mean it's it's fun because it's like yeah it's like we'll get those reviews they're great reviews that can like go deep and like we can talk about a whole bunch of stuff and then we'll get those reviews that last like like we're fighting to get 10 minutes out of a movie but i feel like that kind of like juxtaposition difference between what we cover is kind of what makes what we do more enjoyable to listen to because you know if we're going to watch a movie and our review is going to barely get a 10 minute you know talk out of it you know that's a movie worth skipping but then if we you know we come across you know some random gem like an alabama's ghost or a mighty ground massacre or something that is really kind of gotten forgotten then you know we're gonna work that's worth taking your time and actually searching that movie out so we really try to make sure that we can, you know, take the good and take the bad. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times like it ends up being the bad. But um, when you find that gem, it makes it worth it, you know? 
Yeah, R.I.P. Mrs. Garrett. Oh yeah, R.I.P. Mm. Mm. Uh, so now, I Kyle, I girls. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kyle, I know that you've uh, you actually have uh, been on uh, outside the cinema a couple times. How how did you and Bill meet up for the first time? Yeah, so I was filming my first documentary uh, called Phantasm, which is about horror conventions. Phantasm with an F, of course. Um, love love Don Coscarelli too much to try to <laughs> parody too much, uh, but I did enough. Uh, but I uh, I met Bill through a mutual friend who was helping me find people to interview at these horror conventions that I was doing the doc on, and uh, Rock and Shock. Uh, is what I consider kind of my home convention anyway. So I was really excited to go there and film and talk to people. And um, Bill and Chris were two of the people that I was uh, suggested to talk to. And so I went and I met them in person. Uh, I realized that I had actually maybe had met them or stopped by their booth years prior when I first went to Rock and Shock because I recognized their little handout. And uh, we sat down and talked, and it was probably one of the better uh, interviews for that documentary. And we just stayed in contact. Like we really hit it off then and we stayed in contact and uh, I'd been on OTC a couple of times. I've been a listener. And, um, so then, you know, Bill kind of had, had all these notes about cult cinema and he was trying to figure out what more to do besides the podcast. And I think that, uh, our connection just kind of grew from there. So that's how, that's how I met Bill. Um, and how I got, uh, got swept into cult cinema fandom in some ways. And so, you know, after this meeting and everything, uh, and the reason that we're having this show today is to talk about a documentary the two of you have actually uh, joined forces in, uh, like, the mighty Voltron itself is uh, about to <laughs> unleash upon the world. I don't know where I'm going with this uh, analogy. I kind of <laughs> lost I lost space there a little bit. Uh, so, so, Survival of the Film Freaks, how did this come about? Well, it, it's funny because I, I, I called Kyle and I pitched him uh, a sequel to Phantasm called Phallistasm that was <laughs> about adult film uh, conventions. And he yeah. wasn't really into that. So I was like, how about a cult movie documentary instead? So and I was like, yeah, well, let's go back to Phallistasm, though, because I really don't <laughs> want to do cult film. But I flipped a coin and it was fine. Uh, I actually just thought of that. I don't know how I've never used that. Joke. That was beautiful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's a good bit of business. Um, no, yeah. So we, uh, Kyle and I obviously remained friends after he did his documentary. Outside the Cinema actually sponsored the world premiere of Phantasm uh, at Rock and Shock the year after he, he finished it. So, you know, we kept in contact. Kyle came out. He hung out at our table all weekend, you know, signed posters and just like networked with everybody. And so, um, you know, we hit it off and became good friends off of that. And Kyle then moved out to, or he, were you actually, were you living in LA? I don't think you were living in LA yet. I think oh, no, I was. I was. I had just moved out to LA because we had, my wife and I had gotten married that summer, moved out to LA, and then uh, the doc was set to premiere in Rock and Shock. So I flew back for it. Perfect. So yeah, so Kyle hung out with us all weekend and, you know, we kept in touch and just, we became friends and obviously didn't get to see a lot of each other because he's living on the other side of the country, which will come into play momentarily, Adam. Uh, so... I had had a conversation with Adam Green, who is the director of Hatchet and Frozen and Halston and all around just kind of like everywhere horror guy. And it was a conversation based around the fact that his film Frozen had just had a DVD rip uh, hit the Internet and pop up on all of the torrent sites. So he was very unhappy about the hundred or thousand so downloads illegally of his movie. And, you know, 
I was having a conversation with him about it, and it was the type of thing where he was being very candid with me because it was it was early, I think it was early if I remember right it was early in the day before the convention actually opened, so he was talking very openly and he was just like you know he's like you know you work hard and then the stuff gets out there and people just put it out there and they don't care and you know a hundred thousand people have now have now got a copy of this movie and they didn't pay for it, so. I wanted to play devil's advocate because I have always kind of looked at file sharing and torrenting and downloading on online and, you know, kind of a different way, I think, than some of these other guys have. So we were just having this conversation and I was like, yeah, man, but like out of those hundred thousand people that downloaded this movie, honestly, how many of them do you think would have bought a copy of it when it came out? And he was like, well, you know, that's not really the point. I'm like, but it kind of is the point at the same time, because now what if some of these people are going to purchase your movie because they saw it that way. I'm like, I'm not saying that what what's going on is right. I'm not saying you know what's wrong. I'm like, I completely understand your point of view. I'm like, but there's I think there's a gray area here that may be able to like you can try to, you know, you know, put a you know, put a shine on it as opposed to being all doom and gloom. And, you know, so we just kind of talked back and forth. So that kind of put this idea in my mind of like how cult films are created in this modern day as opposed to you know, having to go to the drive-in or like if you lived in New York, having to hit 42nd Street for a midnight screening of a racer head to be able to see that stuff or, you know, uh, hitting the VHS, you know, store and, you know, renting all this stuff and all these other ideas. And I started to kind of formulate this idea for, you know, a documentary based on cult films, where they came from and where they're going and how technology and changes in habits make it so that, you know, films are found today as opposed to how they were years back. So I kind of like wrote this incredible stream of thought, like, I don't know, 15 to 20 pages of notes. And uh, I was like, I would really love to try to make this. I'm like, I've done it inside the cinema at the time was we were like in our eighth year, I think. And I'm like, you know, I love doing the podcast, but I feel like we, I, I can do something more. So I, I was like, I don't, I can't do this on my own. I have zero background in filmmaking or any type of even producing videos. Even the videos I would produce for outside the cinema were like made on iMovie <laughs> and like questionable at best. Like, <laughs> so uh, I was like, I, I'm going to call Kyle because I liked Phantasm a lot. The experience of working with him on it and just being an interviewee was was great. We'd become friends and I'm like, I know he knows what he's doing. And I'm like, I'm going to pitch this to him and see what he says. So I called him up and was like, hey, I'm curious, man. Are you interested in maybe working on another documentary? And he was like, well, you know, kind of kind of depends on the project. So I was like, here's a bunch of notes. Here's the basic idea. Tell me what you think. And, you know, he took a look at it and reviewed it and got back to me pretty quickly and was like, this sounds awesome. I, I yeah, I want to work on this. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, well, I want you to make it with me. And he's like, yeah, but what do you want me to do? Do you want me to shoot it? Do you want me to do that? I'm like, no, I'm like, I want to make it together. I'm like co-director, co-produce, co-write top to bottom. I want this to be a project that the two of us do together. So that way, neither of us necessarily had to shoulder, you know, too much. And <laughs> if it sucks, half of it's your fault. <laughs> that's yeah. how I that's how I look at shit. I'm just like, I'm not the only one to blame for this. <laughs> We're going down together. Yeah, exactly. It's like if it if it's a success, the two of us can can base yeah. it. But if it's a failure, we're both going down in flames. <laughs> um, and that's really kind of just how the idea came of it. And you know, we immediately started trying to get an idea of you know who who we wanted to interview, how we were going to do it. Um, but as Kyle will tell you, it, we did definitely have some issues because we were three thousand miles apart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the that was the real challenge. You know, I mean, we're it, between that and also trying to figure out how to make this cult cinema documentary different 
which wasn't actually that big of a, an issue. It was just certainly a, the, something that we had to think about, you know, like right off the bat, like how do you how do we make something different than what's already out there? I mean, we're not just going to do another history of cult cinema. You know, it's not going to be like a, a clip show or, um, you know, whatever. It's going to be a little bit more. And then, of course, we're trying to do this 3,000 miles away, you know, emailing back and forth or giving each other like, uh, you know, talking on the phone for an hour or so, like every week if we could or probably not even that honestly it was probably less than that yeah um because we were both working at the time and the time difference you know it was it was a lot so you know trying to organize it and really really get that first step done like that first round of interviews leading right up until that was pretty challenging just trying to organize it all um and i mean that anybody who steps like their first their pre-production can be really daunting at times and um, I think anybody will tell you like leading right up until then it gets a little nerve wracking. Um, but we also were really, we were really ready to just do it. Like we were, we didn't want to set out on like a five, six year documentary, you know, session <laughs> to try to, you know, yeah. this wasn't going to be one of those things that we spend years and years and years on. Um, though we could have, we easily could have, but Absolutely. with our, with our focus as to what the documentary is actually you know about as far as technology and call how cult cinema is changed by that we really had to get it done and get it out there quick but also make it good <laughs> you know now one of the uh I, I think one of the things that maybe I, most people don't think about when they uh you know watch documentaries and stuff because when you see it on screen it's very fluid everything is kind of going and it and by the end of it, you're you're like, uh, oh, of course this is how it played out. This is there's only one way that this thing could have gone, you know. And so the narrative is right there, flows right through. But people don't realize that that's something that actually has to be crafted. Uh, show it, give us an idea of what it went through from actual, you know, first couple of pages that you've got there as your kind of idea and everything to how you actually structured it and then leading into interviews and how you decided what to do and when. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead, Bill. Okay. I was just going to say, we, we did our, uh, we did our homework. We were very prepared. Mm -hmm. We took what, five, six months of prepping storylines, prepping questions, um, figuring out what our outline was going to be before we ever even set anything to film. We wanted to make sure that we had a real, you know, decision made plan on what we wanted this film to be. And I'm not going to slag any other documentary filmmakers and I don't know how any other guys really make it. Um, but I mean, do you do see that happen where like films come out and they're like, Oh, you know, it wasn't the story we originally wanted to tell, but this is kind of how we went. Um, and that's totally fine. And some of the m most amazing documentaries ever made happen like that. That um, was that one that one from last year tickled ended up being like that, where they thought right. they were out on this and it ended up being something different. I didn't feel that this was the type of project that would that could happen to because of the specifics. So we were really able to cater, you know, our interviews to what our outline was. And there was definitely some kind of tangents and some things that came up that I'm sure Kyle can talk about a little bit more because he did most of the editing on it. Uh, he did all the editing on, not, not most of it, um, that kind of took off these other tangents that we didn't expect. But we were we were really prepared and we knew the story we wanted to tell, which I think really helped going into the filming. Yeah, no, that was I mean, that was it. We were really like the outline that Bill had. I mean, even the even the stream of consciousness, one that we had built this whole documentary off of had its 
storyline, you know, like, so we, we really, we asked, we had the questions down. We knew kind of where we were going. We didn't, of course, we didn't know what answers we were going to get, but we also knew how to, this wasn't, we weren't trying to prove a point. This wasn't like a, um, this wasn't a documentary that's trying to say one thing against another. This is just an exploration of uh, cult cinema, particularly in, you know, the 21st century. So it's like, we knew that we were going to get different answers, but we also knew that like, we wanted to, we needed to talk about those topics. So even though we didn't know what the answers were going to be, we knew sort of like an out, so sort of an outline as to what the doc is going to be all about. So we were ready for all of it. I think, I mean, in the editing process, there were some surprises. I think, um, the biggest thing was we didn't we didn't know how much we were actually going to be talking about cable TV until we had everybody talking about their cable TV experience. Um, you know, it was like a question in our list of 30 plus questions. And that actually got it has a, a decent sized segment in our in our doc. We could have made a full doc just on the cable TV experience with the amount of stuff we had. I think we could have, you know, I think there was a, I think there was just a lot of it. And I mean, those are just, those are just pleasant surprises. Cause that means, you know, where a lot of other documentaries might, uh, you know, have gotten a lot of answers about VHS box art, which of course we did too. Um, we happened to get a lot about cable TV. So that was a fun thing to focus on that. It felt like not a lot of other, um, docs have done yet, you know, um, and even if, I mean, it's only, you know, 10, 15 minutes in the, in the movie, but it just was, it was just cool to discover that, um, while editing. Nice. So, uh, give us, um, you guys talked to a myriad of people. Who do we kind of talk to and how did we kind of get in touch with those people? So we had, uh, we had another producer, Mike White, who does the projection booth. He helped us out a lot. Um, getting in touch with a few people, particularly Mike's got people. all the contacts, man. I tell he you. sure does, man. He's uh, his Rolodex is no uh, quite extensive, um, and he so he helped us. He helped us out a lot, um, especially with some of the bigger names that we got. Which I believe he helped us out with. Uh, he helped us out with Graydon Clark, of course, and he helped us out. I think he got us in contact with Joe Bob Briggs um, and and Ted Ramey, which are you know some of the the bigger names that we've, we have on the dock. And then, yeah, um, too, I think he was, he was behind that. Oh, Chris Gore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he got us Chris Gore and, um, you know, it was a lot of just figuring out, you know, we had, we had friends and of course Bill had people that he has talked to over the course of his time with OTC and just friends on, from the communities online or whatever. And, uh, I had a couple people myself and we had some overlap. So it was a lot of it was just, um, was just mutual friends or people that we had met before and reached out to. Um, and then Mike really helped us out with, uh, with some of those other names. So that's, I mean, it was honestly, it was just reaching out and not letting up, you know, Mm -hmm. it was, um, I mean, not that we hounded anybody, but you know, we, we, all you have to do is follow up and check in again and go from there, you know? And I think the cool thing is that we weren't trying to, do anything super crazy we were you know a one camera setup and we just needed an hour of people's time you know like we weren't asking for much and i think with the laid back approach that we had um it helps the people that we did get for the doc mm-hmm. and i think that really shows especially in their interviews so absolutely yeah and i think one of the things too that we really we really tried to focus on too was 
when we were going after people, if somebody didn't seem like they were interested in it right off the bat, we didn't pursue it any further. I, I know that I didn't want to have anybody in this movie that was just doing it for the sake of doing it. So when we were pitching it to people, if they showed an interest pretty much right off the bat, those are the people we stuck with, you know, right. like we very easily could have gotten, you know, a couple of, or at least are a handful of, you know, bigger name stars that were more worried about doing it for a payday and less like about the actual commitment to what we, you know, the vision we were looking at and trying to share this information with people. And then we also focused a lot on making sure that we weren't just necessarily going with like actors and directors. Like, you know, we talked to a number of podcasters that I know, and then a lot of independent filmmakers um, and people that were, you know, involved in different facets of filmmaking and were cult movie fans first and foremost. So right. we didn't, you know, we, you know, yeah, we could have gone, you know, and paid a bunch of money and gone after guys like Quentin Tarantino and like stuff like that. But like, it doesn't, I mean, all it does is it gets a name in your movie. And I was really more concerned with having the right people in the movie rather than having somebody there just because of their name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing, uh, people talk, people talk and somebody might, you know, say something at some point. And like, if, if somebody that was big enough had heard you know, they'd get in touch if they were, if that was something that they were really into anyway. So, but I, I, but I'm, I'm of the same thing. I'm like, I either want you there. You just piss off. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's funny, too, because like William Sachs, for example, when uh, who he directed um, Galaxina and Van Nuys Boulevard and a number of Incredible Melting Man, and, like a bunch of awesome cult movies from the 70s. And um, he initially wasn't really like into it. And then he was like, wait a minute. And he kind of read the stuff and he was like, actually, this sounds really interesting. And then he got back to us and was like, no, yeah, I, I would love to be part of this. Which showed that, like, you know, he's, you know, he gets it and he really wants to be part of it. And it's not just putting his face in a documentary to get his name back out there. So it goes to show if you're a film movie fan and especially, you know, it seems like a cult movie fan because that means you're just into cinema in general. You love talking about this stuff regardless of what your end game is. Yeah, and I, I think that's where where you find the the people with actually the, the true passion behind it and stuff. And the people that, you know, you know can just talk you know, nonstop about everything. I'm, I'm accused of the guy who won't stop talking about most things. So, <laughs> so I get it. Uh, now what did you guys, so you said it, you were doing one camera setup and everything. What'd you shoot on? Uh, for the most part, we shot on a uh, digital Bolex, which, uh, has un- since gone, uh, out of business, unfortunately, but they are, um, and as a company that I worked for, uh, while I was living out in LA and they are a, um, it's like a 16 mil, like a digital 16 millimeter camera, a cinema camera, which is. Yeah. I remember the film cameras back in the day. Yeah. It was. So it's like the fact that it's shooting digital, but still has like the super 16 sensor and it, you know, it has, it had 12 bit color. It's just a very unique camera. Mm-hmm. It was funded by like on Kickstarter. And, you know, it was, it was a really interesting um, experience to use that camera and to work for that company. So um, it was cool to be using that camera. Um, and then for some of the other ones we used, uh, Bill had a, a Lumix. Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, yeah Panasonic Lumix G7. Yeah. So, um, because uh, at some point I couldn't keep borrowing the, <laughs> the camera and I moved out of LA. So, um, you know, and it was, like I said, that camera is kind of hard to get your hands on now because the people who own theirs own theirs and there's not a lot of them floating around. Um, but for the, most of it is shot on digital Bolex. Nice. We also did, um, <laughs> We did some iPhone filming. We did. Uh, 
So there was a couple instances where Kyle was was unable to be with me for when we did some interviews and I hadn't actually purchased the Panasonic camera yet. And the Panasonic G7, although in a, you know, a low level affordable camera, let me tell you, excellent camera to shoot uh, documentary footage on. Oh yeah. Um, even, and even we ended up using the kit lens uh, for most of it. So, but the iPhone, what I ended up doing was I got aftermarket lenses for the iPhone and then also, you know, purchased a really good app to use rather than just the native iPhone app. And I'll tell you, if you put the work into it and a little bit of money into using an iPhone and get the equipment, you can shoot some amazing footage on it. Yeah, it's 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 kind of astounding the the, the links and stuff that you know technology has brought us to in this uh, short amount of time. But I mean, and here's the thing, and and I want people if you've ever had the idea of shooting a documentary or anything like that, uh, it's all about the actual content itself. Now, a, a buddy of mine. Um, Mike Malloy, who did the uh, Eurocrime documentary, I'm oh, sure I you've seen that. Uh, uh, so uh, I don't want to say he's a good f- friend of mine, but we've hung out a-, a decent amount. And so I was talking with him about all this stuff, and uh, and I find it very true. And you can see it in the Eurocrime because he was telling me about how over the length amount of time that he was shooting that technology started changing. You know, so he had to get new stuff, and that's why there are wildly varying levels of quality in what's being shown in that documentary because technology just changed. But at the same time, it all comes down to is what you're watching compelling enough to where they don't give a fuck? That's right. that's what you got to be able to do. As, lo- as long as you are telling a story that's worth watching, people are going to forgive so much, you know, imperfections that you know normally you would just get like oh god there's no way i can show this but sometimes you just should because yeah it it it, uh, it uh facilitates the story absolutely yeah our luigi cozy interview who probably best known as the director of star crash uh you know was one i had to do on my own so i filmed it you know on my iPhone and I didn't really know what I was doing yet it was the first time i tried to do one on my own without having Kyle there and i'm trying to set lights up and i you know um, and the footage on it, I'm not going to say that it's bad, but it looks a lot different than the rest of the movie. But he had some really key stuff to say. Mm-hmm. And when you mix it into the into the finished product, you, you don't even you don't even think about it. Like, it's not even like a thing like I friggin' hemmed and hawed over like, oh, what can I do with this? Do I want to send it to Kyle? Do I not want to send it to Kyle? And I'm like, no, I'm like, this is, I'm like, he's too important a name. And it's his output and content that he gave us is too good to not use. So, but you don't even notice when you watch the finish the finished product because it fits itself in so well. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it does, and I think the luckily all the cameras that we used to sort of lent themselves to that too, which was good because sometimes I mean, we could have we could have just gone like total opposite sides of the spectrum with cameras, and it would have you know been all over the place. But again, I mean, like you said, I mean, what matters is that there's something compelling there, and that you're like listening to a story, and you can kind of. You know, you're going to bounce around from talking head to talking head, even if it's the same, you know, even if it's the same camera. So it's like the setup's always going to change anyway. But as long as, like, you're interested in what we're talking about, then you're golden. Yeah. Now, uh, what did you guys use for, um, did you have any kind of B-roll or stuff? How did you deal with that kind of situation? Because obviously documentaries were shooting. There's going to be a lot of talking heads, especially if you're doing one. You know, we just don't always want to sit and look at a at a uh, pretty face. And if you're talking about horror folks, maybe not so pretty face uh, for as long as as we do. Uh, how did you go about kind of B-rolling stuff? Um, I mean, it's uh, I, I sent Kyle 40 something hours of trailers. Mm-hmm. I went through and I pulled and pieced stuff together for trailer reels. And we very much since it's a cult movie, 
uh, it's a film about cult movies. You know, those trailers, especially from like the 70s and 80s, are some of them, well, some, a lot of them are better than the actual movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we wanted to use almost exclusively trailer footage for any type of, you know, archival footage that we were going to use. So I went through and just pulled tons and tons of different trailers from, you know, black exploitation and exploitation stuff to 80s horror to 90s direct to video to modern day, you know, independent cinema that that's done well. So all of the B, not all the B roll, but all of the archival footage in the movie, with the exception, I think, of one or two scenes is all, you know, old trailer footage. So you get the nice, you get the, you know, the specific grain look of it and Mm -hmm. it's very, um, it contrasts very well with like the sharp 2K footage that was shot. Um, and then a lot of the other B-roll footage was kind of just shot on a whim of like we were in Las Vegas and we were interviewing a guy uh, named William Powell who runs a place called the Sci-Fi Center. So I just hooked up the, you know, the iPhone through the extra lenses on it and just kind of walked around his thing in his screening room and shot stuff that way. Yeah, um, I've, I, and I was living in Pasadena and South Pasadena has a video store called Videotech, which is like amazing, amazing rental store. Um, you know, they, they line everything up by genres and particularly in the cult and horror section, they do it by directors. So, uh, I got a lot of B roll there. We went into a, a Blu-ray signing of beyond the gates at dark delicacies to sort of get an idea of like, there are still people coming out and celebrating, you know, cult or underground or independent cinema, um, in ways that people would have, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, we got a little bit of B-roll from the trauma office when we went and interviewed Lloyd Kaufman. Not all, not a lot of it made it into the flick, but we do have that stuff. But Lloyd um, Kaufman was willing to stand in front of a camera and talk about what he does <laughs> out of out of character. It was really difficult to get him, um, but <laughs> it's, it's, it was. You know what? The, the here's the biggest thing, though, and I, I've said this before, um, but Lloyd. So. Uh, he gave us so much good stuff, but if you do not get through the first 20 minutes of talking to Lloyd Kaufman for something, then you won't get to the gold that he has in his brain (laughs) and the knowledge that he has. You have to sift through his trauma salesperson thing, which is inherently the the ringmaster. Yeah. You've got to, yeah, no, I get it. And, 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 uh, I give Bill a lot of credit for this. He stuck, he stuck with Lloyd through the whole thing, like through and through. And I mean, the last half of his interview, also we interviewed him as opposed to the desk where all of the trauma logo and miscellaneous crap is in his (laughs) office. We opted to film in the basement of Trauma, where all the cans of film are. And oh, because we've the... always heard about that, but I don't know that I've ever actually seen it. Yeah, a lot of people don't film in there, um, and we we opted to do so because we were like, "Well, we need—I mean, we need this. Like, we don't need you. Don't, we don't need you to promote Trauma. We need you to talk about your experience and years and years and years of experience, which is all in this basement. You know, it's all the masters and all the components and everything like that. He still opted to have uh, two toxie heads in the shot with him. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's a give and take. It's a give and take. So, um, you know, it was uh, – so we got some B-roll of the trauma office too, which is cool. Yeah, and the thing with Lloyd too was it was a matter – and this kind of not even just for Lloyd but for pretty much everybody. It was getting conversational and asking the right questions. And with Lloyd, he's, he's this incredible wealth of knowledge. And I think people – kind of forget because of his salesperson ringleader type of like um persona that he puts out there just how much information the guy has and knows about like you know 
independent companies trying to, you know, bust through with the mainstream and then also battle like the Foxes and the Universals and all these huge companies. And people don't, I even think, realize that because they're so enamored by the trauma, the idea of trauma and like, oh, why don't you guys, because they did the same thing with us that I'm sure they do with every documentary crew that comes in there. Oh, well, this is where Lloyd usually gets filmed. And we were like, what are the other options? Yeah. And they were just kind of like, wait, but this is where he usually gets filmed. No, I understand that. I'm like, what are the other options? We're taking them to Burger King. <laughs> that would have been more interesting, though. <laughs> but we were able to kind of really get this side of Lloyd that you don't always see. And um, it works so great for the movie. Mm-hmm. It really does. Nice. So now, is there anyone, what what's, what was kind of the actual uh, just tenor of people? Were, were they, uh, are, are they kind of for this digital revolution? Are they kind of against it? Or, or like, what do you find is the biggest, you know, hurdle for most people to get over when it comes to things like that, at least as far as people in the business go? I mean, it's a huge mix, Adam. I mean, it's huge. And we found that pretty, you know, almost right away, whereas like everybody, we started to talk about torrenting and file sharing and like, you know, what streaming has done and downloading and, and not everyone had a different answer, but almost everybody kind of had like a different look at it. There's guys like Adam Green, who, you know, was the, you know, the genesis for the film, who was very much like super anti-piracy and like, this is what I feel. And, but then you got guys like Lloyd that are kind of like, you know, get your stuff out there to people, put it in front of their eyes. Cause if you can take the time from them, that's what's most important. It's not about making a dollar. It's about sharing your art. And then there's guys that kind of fall in the middle, like Jackson Stewart, who directed beyond the gates is, you know, kind of looking at both sides of it. And, um, it was really all over the place. And I was kind of surprised just how all over the place it was. Cause I've always kind of come from this mindset of like independent filmmakers and people that are involved in, you know, the daily process and this is their life are like 100% like torrenting and piracy is ruining our business. And there is a, there is that, that component to it. And I, you know, I'm not going to say that I disagree with that, but I was surprised at just how open some of these people were because and I was also, I, I was, I was pretty staunch on playing devil's advocate with asking the questions. Cause I very easily could have just backed down and been like, okay, yeah, you don't believe it. But I, I, you know, I kept pushing, pushing them. Well, there's that double-edged sword. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? So, I feel like we were able to get people to open up on a subject, which is why I feel the film is kind of the doc is so important in this kind of climate that we're in now. To kind of look at these other things, and a lot of people don't want to talk about this stuff. So, getting people to be open-minded and honest with us was like, was super important. I mean, the thing, the big, you also have to realize when we talk about technology, we're not just talking about you know, the common torrent and streaming argument or whatever. We're also talking about the ability to, you know, 4K scan a movie from the 70s and put it on Blu-ray and pack it with extras and get a physical copy out to people and to collectors. Like, we're we're talking, like, a couple of different ends of the spectrum here, too. You know, so it's really interesting to see what technology does for the present-day independent filmmaker for those films that were lost or missed a missed a format wave, like they missed maybe they missed DVD distribution, so they were only available on VHS or whatever. And you know, there's a lot. There's a couple different aspects of it, so it's it's really cool to see where people land and to you know, like Bill with playing devil's advocate, to be asking those questions and get them get the gears turning for people. You know, like we talked to um, Jeff Nelson from Scream Factory, who's whole business is physical media you know so it's it is a fight to not get his films 
pirated or put on YouTube or anything like that. But he was also he will he also brought up that in order to find out how people or like what movies they're going to want to put out or to gauge interest in a particular property, you have to look to technology. You have to look to see if people are really trying to search for this thing, if people are uploading their VHS rips or like how many comments are on the trailer that, you know, would it garner a physical release next year, you know? So it's really interesting um, dichotomy, more than a dichotomy. It's all over the place, to be honest. You know, it's really interesting the, uh, what tech has done um, across the board. And I I think that's a really interesting idea as well, because we have so like technology has gotten us to where we have all that stuff. And, And I know Bill, I know specifically you're, you're very much of that same type. That's all across that spectrum from like, I need to have like I I want this as an actual you know a a, a, a vinyl and uh, I I like that as an MP3 and hell I, OTC let's be honest probably would not exist in the way that it exists now if you know you didn't have access to these movies online. Absolutely, and that was kind of that was the thing that kind of came up, and I kept using you know the double edged sword, and uh, I had a great the conversation we had with with Jeff was great because since his whole business is physical media and collector's editions and all this stuff, I was, you know, well, what about, you know, this movie? And, you know, it hasn't been available to anyone since, you know, a VHS rip back in like the early eighties, you know, what, what, should I not be able to see that movie digitally because nobody has picked it up? And then, you know, and even he like, who like is a guy that, you know, this is his livelihood had to be like, yeah, he's like, you're right. He's like, there's, you know, there's these situations where, you know, whether it be rights or whether it be just, you know, the filmmaker isn't around anymore and there's just no way to actually locate a good copy of it. Like, you know, should this movie die and never be seen again because there's no proper way to get it out? And that's, I think, the beauty of of the Internet that a lot of people kind of overlook and if they want to just look at it in a black and white of like, well, no, I can't watch it. And Chris Gore said the same thing, whereas like he's like, I won't watch bootlegs unless it is the only way for me to locate that film. So it's a, you know, it is, it's a double-edged sword for a lot of people, but I think everything has its place. And that's kind of one thing I've learned through the years with doing OTC. We've discovered, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of movies that like would never, ever get talked about otherwise, because there's no way to get them currently. But we were able to, you know, find them on the internet somewhere. And like, you know, this person said, oh, this is this crazy movie and you guys should check it and people should check it out because it's not available anywhere. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, especially like when you know the '80s rolled around, it was such the video boom, and so many direct-to-video things, and just uh, so many out there. You know, there's so much product that it's never going to all get to you know like a DVD or a streaming format. They're going to be loose, weird DV or uh, VHS tapes out there that you know no one's seen. And you know, would you rather that just you know disappear forever or? maybe even a couple hundred people. I I mean I, I can say as, you know, I would I would rather have some at least somebody enjoy something of it, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, man. I mean like I, I don't like my podcasts don't reach, you know, tons and tons of people, but the ones that they do, I'm at least if if the if the counter said zero every month, I wouldn't do this. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It says it it's got a couple of numbers there, so I'm okay with it. But if it said zero uh, well, fuck, I can do this by myself, and I don't have to pay $20 a month to Lipson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> fuck all that. Uh, so, 
Whenever th- now, so you guys are about to uh, embark on a uh, uh, some festival tours and stuff, yeah? Yeah, we're uh, we are premiering our doc at Horror Hound Weekend, which is really awesome. Um, we're doing that at the end of August, so our, our world premiere date and time Sunday, August twenty sixth at eleven a.m. We're gonna get some brunch. We're gonna watch some documentaries about cult films, and then, uh, well, one documentary about cult film, um, and then we're gonna enjoy the rest of our uh, convention weekend. Um, but we will be at Horror Hound Weekend that entire weekend with the doc screening on Sunday. Um, we do have a Massachusetts date, which hasn't been announced, but it's the first weekend in October. Um, so we will be there. And we hopefully have some more coming up. We have some in the works. We're awaiting word on a couple of them. Um, you know, we're hoping to head out west in some capacity. You know, we're looking at Telluride or Los Angeles International Underground. And, you know, we've applied to a couple other ones. Um, we want to do Fantastic Fest. Hopefully they, they dig our dock and get us in there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see where else it takes us. Uh, it's been a really interesting experience. Uh, this is kind of our, our, even though this is my second doc, this is my first experience in the, like applying to film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause with phantasm, it was just sending it to conventions and being like, this is a documentary about conventions, you know? <laughs> um, cause it also doubled as like a student project. So I just had, I wasn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what I could and couldn't do. Um, this one, we know, what we're doing <laughs> a little bit more anyway, um, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more. And again, we, uh, you know, our, our producer, Mike white has experience in this field too. So he's been helping us out a lot. And, um, you know, we're just, we're waiting and seeing, you know, hopefully we get some more dates here. Uh, basically in August is just every three days, there's a notification date for a festival. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, this is the time and, and that, time, uh, that time of year for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, hopefully we'll we'll be out and about a little bit more. Yeah, October, I think, will be a pretty big month for us. Um, one of us, or maybe hopefully both of us, depending on how the schedule works out, will be at Rock and Shock in Worcester, too. Unfortunately, they don't have a film room this year, so we're not able to screen the movie. But uh, we're going to be there, um, or at least one of us will be there. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we get into another film festival and we have to divide and conquer, which would actually right. be the best way to go about it. But uh, we definitely we – because we told everyone last year that we met because we did um, – we screened a 20-minute promotional version of it at Rock and Shock last year, and a lot of people were into it. So uh, we definitely want to be there. And our buddy Jimmy Gonzalez, who is in the documentary, he directed a film called The Red Man. He's also a DJ. goes by the name of Speedy. He's going to be doing a film therapy DJ set um, in Worcester too. So – uh, we want to still be part of that. And, you know, we're going to obviously have posters and, you know, all that fun stuff to, to get the word out to people. And so hopefully we'll have some stuff, you know, gathered around that in that area, uh, too, to hopefully, you know, work out like a whole like weekend thing or something like that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, we're definitely going to be keeping an eye out on it. I'm interested in, uh, in, in seeing it as well. I've loved the little bits and stuff that you've put out on uh, all the social media and whatnot. Speaking of which, if they want to find all these sorts of things, where might they go? Yeah, you can find us uh, You can just on Facebook, Survival of the Film Freaks, um, facebook.com slash Survival of the Film Freaks. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, at uh, Film Freaks Movie. Uh, we're doing a lot. We've been, had been releasing these little film freak extras, but now that we're kind of gearing up for the premiere, um, those might take a little bit of a break, but we'll get back to it. Um, obviously keep people posted on, 
other screenings coming up. Um, those, those, everything's connected. So that's the best place to find us. Um, and you can, of course, follow Bill at OTC Bill. Uh, I'm at KR Kukta, which is K U C H T A, if you care to check us out too. Um, and because uh, we'll be posting a bunch of that stuff as well. Um, and yeah, that's where you can keep up to date with Survival of the Film Freaks. Beautiful. Look at him. He's even he's even plugging your tweet, Twitter, and all that kind of good jazz. I'm that's a that's goddamn a, professional. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> okay. Hey. I'm uh, not that good. <laughs> well, uh, Bill, Kyle, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Film Find. Uh, if you'd like more special things like this, why don't you head on over to patreon.com slash the film find. Uh, and, you know, he'll keep uh, the pirate ship afloat, man. Uh, so that's it, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time for uh, bonus episodes. And um, I don't have a sign-off for bonus episodes. So uh, see you next time, fuckers. She's a-